Hey, Corner Office listeners, you can find us on all streaming platforms such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to check out our Instagram at the Corner Office Pod. Now, enjoy this episode. gentlemen welcome back to another episode of the corner office we're excited to be back on this national wednesday um we may start like just uploading on wednesday just because while i'm in season it's really hard for me to upload an episode um on the tuesday that i have a game on but that being said you know we're excited to be back to bring you some nba action and there's been a lot that's gone on in the past 24 hours so we're excited to you know get into that yes we are and i think that the first order of business before we get too far is someone who we talked about in one of those famous two deleted episodes that we managed to put out, or not put out, rather, over winter break. And that is breaking news, Woj Bomb. Alex, I love a Woj Bomb. I know you do, yeah. too. Every basketball fan, fan loves a good, good Woj Bomb. And I feel like we haven't really had one since the Rudy Gobert trade. This one really caught a lot of people off guard. And that since would be... the Rudy Gobert trade? When was the last good Woj Bomb we had? I don't know. I think that's a crazy pull. He's been there for like three years. He's been there for one season. This He's is been in second. Minnesota for a season? This is his second season. All right. It's his second season there. Okay. That makes a little bit more sense. Rather. Um, okay. Back to the either, point. Yeah, fine. Whatever. Keep either going. way. Mid-season Woj bomb. Not really common. And that would be Pascal Siakam moving from the Toronto Raptors to the Indiana Pacers. And I'm going to try and get all of the details right, but the Indiana Pacers are getting Pascal Siakam, and the Toronto Raptors are getting Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, yep, and three first-round picks. So, Alex, was there a winner? Was there a loser? Give me your initial thoughts, your first reaction to this trade. Look, I think in the short term, um, there isn't a clear winner or loser thus far. Um, first things first, like the, the NBA trade deadline is February 9th and that's going to be, you know, while we get closer to that, I think that you're going to see a lot of movement from teams trying to push towards, you know, becoming NBA champions. Um, and that being said, like, you know, to keep track of it all, like this is a big trade for both teams. I think, I think for the Raptors, it's not nearly as big a needle mover as people like would expect. Um, you know, Pascal Siakam's a guy who has been an all-star caliber player for the past couple of years. He has seen a bit of a decrease in productivity and they haven't won a lot of games in the past two years. Um, but now you move off his expiring contract, you know, and he's making like $40 million a year. So like you, you open up a lot of cap space and bring in a guy like Bruce Brown, who's a pretty good wing defender. I think the biggest part of this trade is the three first round picks that you get. Cause then you can probably package those three firsts, you know, to get some young players. I mean, they're probably not going to be super high picks, right? Like you can imagine that the Pacers are going to be good going forward the way that their core has performed thus far. You know, Tyrese Halliburton's production and the way that he has progressed as an NBA player has been great. But it should be noted that like he was a top 15 pick. He was like, I think number 15 or number 16 in that draft. You know, he wasn't, you know, a first uh, a lottery guy. So like 
there is production that you can get from a top, you know, top 15 to 20 pick, um, even though it may not be as illustrious as getting like the number one overall pick. Um, but all that being said, like, you know, you add those three picks to the fact that this Raptors team has a really young core that they're trying to build around, right? Like Scotty Barnes has performed really well thus far this year. I mean, I think he's averaging like 25 and five right now. Um, and his progression from year one, year two, and I think this is his third year in the NBA now has been, you know, pretty substantial um, coming out of Florida State. And then you got guys who they just got in the Knicks trade, you know, in uh, RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly, who have been pretty damn good for them. You know, RJ's put up some 30-point games. I mean, he's playing very loose and fluid, and uh, I think that both of these guys could progress into, you know, top top 10 players at their position, which I think is I think is the direction that this Toronto Raptors team is trying to go. You know, they're young, they're rebuilding, um, and this trade really gets – I think Pascal Siakam is – correct me if I'm wrong here – the last player from that um, – Kawhi Leonard championship run I believe that that is correct okay so like you know you get rid of that old guard and now you bring in new players who are going to you know try and build for the future um vice versa for the Indiana Pacers I think that this trade initially moves the needle to you know make them probably I mean I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later but like I think that this makes them more of a contender in the east I don't think that it makes them like you know, I don't, th- it certainly doesn't make them favorites, right? Yeah. So my take on this initially is that I look at this Pacers team now and I see the addition of Siakam and I think, well, this Pacers team being the best offense in the history of the NBA yeah. can take two games from any team in the East, therefore any team in the West. Mm-hmm. They can take at least two games in any series. I think they're sitting in the sixth seed right now. I think this makes them better than both the Heat and the Cavs who are ahead of them, and I I think it makes them better than the Knicks who are tied record-wise with them. So I think it puts them as the fourth-best team in the Eastern Conference. I don't see them being better than the Bucks, the Sixers, or the Celtics, but that being said, they didn't give up any of that offensive prowess or power in Bruce Brown and Jordan Noir. You know, these guys actually performed. So offensively, I will get into that in a minute, like my dissection yeah. of it. I think that a healthy Sixers team and the Bucks beat them in seven. I think the Bucks are a team that is a little bit more vulnerable to this Pacers squad just because the Bucks defense is not good and the Pacers offense is very good. And they've met already this season and it has not gone the Bucks way every time, besides when right. Giannis literally dropped like 70 points. But right. I think the Celtics still beat them. I think the Bucks beat them in seven. I think the Sixers beat them in seven as well. I don't think this Pacers team, I don't think it's the right time for them to go all in. Unfortunately, I don't really think that they have a choice. Now, let's talk about how Siakam fits into their offense. To me, I don't see him fitting into their offensive game plan, mostly because their game plan is centered around Tyrese Halliburton passes the ball to whoever's open because he's going to find who's open and they make the shot, right? They shoot a lot I mean, of threes. They shoot a lot of open shots. They get a lot of open looks. And Pascal Siakam is not really a swing the rock kind of guy. He's more of an ISO pull-up mid-range guy. And there's nothing wrong with his game. I just don't think it fits into the scheme offensively that the Pacers have in place right now. So with this addition, to me, either the Pacers are going to have to change their scheme a little bit, which I think that they may. Or Pascal Siakam is going to have to change the way that he plays in order to fit into the scheme. And I think a little bit of both is going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a below-average three-point shooter. Um, he's shooting 31.7% on the year thus this far. Um, he's a 22-point-per-game scorer um, and averages about five assists a game as well. I do think that this allows Tyrese Halliburton to have a guy that he can throw the rock to, you know, a secondary option for him if he's not scoring, you know, at a high rate. Um, so, like, I don't think that it hinders them in that sense at all. What I do think is I think that it vastly improves their defensive side of the ball. I agree. I mean, Pascal Siakam is a really good wing defender. And although Bruce Brown is also a pretty good defender, he wasn't getting the amount of burn that could really, you know, showcase that, I don't think. Um, and he also wasn't a great shooter, you know. So, like, I don't think that this move makes their offense any worse because, again, Bruce Brown didn't play a ton of minutes. Jordan Nawara didn't play a ton of minutes for them. So they're still going to have that explosivity on the offensive side of the ball. But, like, they had been struggling really badly defensively, and they had just been trying to outscore every opponent that they had played thus far. Um, and this move kind of, you know, makes them probably a slightly better defensive team, which when it comes to a seven-game series could be very important because if you have an off-shooting night as the Indiana Pacers, before now, you're pretty much like, we can't get stops. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that this makes them more, you know, defensively sound, even though I don't think that it makes them like a top 10 defense, right? Yeah, so I think that you see Siakam take a backseat role with this team, not necessarily as a fourth score, but I think that he slides into that second role very nicely and goes yep. from averaging you know, his 22 points a game to maybe more like a number like 16 or 17. So right, I think right, that you right. see a bit of a decline there just because he's not that number one option anymore. But at the same time, I think that you see the Pacers defensive rating go up and that you see m most of their offense go up. Like it's hard for them to get better offensively, but I think that this brings another aspect that can make them multi-dimensional, that can make them more of a threat offensively, not in terms of, necessarily their number but how they get to that number and I think that that's going to be really important for them moving forward yeah I agree I agree um I'm not entirely sure when his his contract expires this year which is the biggest red flag that I have with this trade um is the fact that you know you bring in a guy on an expiring contract who didn't want to leave Toronto you know so he didn't want to go to Indiana to start with so like for me, I'm like, you have him for half a season. Can you convince him to stay? And if you can't, then what was the point of trading the picks to get him, right? Right. So, like, is 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 their point, is their plan to push for a championship with him? Like, I think that's what it has to be, right? Because, you know, if, if you don't have him for next year, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. And, like, he may choose to go someplace else if this season doesn't go well for him. So – yeah, so do you want me to look up Siakam's contract? I mean, I have it up right now. It expires in 2024. Okay, so I was actually going to say, say the same thing about Bruce Brown. So okay. after this season, he's getting $22 million. He has yeah, a team Spicy option. Spicy is making $37 million this year. Wow. Yeah, so Bruce Brown also has a team option in Toronto, and Toronto can make a decision as to whether or not they're going to keep him. And I think that if they don't, he he may go back to Indiana. He may go find – but I assure you that Bruce Brown will find himself on a winning team if the Raptors don't – or decide to not keep him next season because he is also a pretty hefty cap hit at $22 million, especially with the production that he brings to the squad. Right, right. All right, well, that's all no, I, I have. Agree. That's all I have yeah. on this. Let's move yeah, into I – mean, I'm sorry. 
I just I was gonna say like I think we just have to wait and see with a lot of the stuff that's going to happen with these two teams. Um, you know, it's it is a midseason trade, so there isn't a lot of time to adjust to a new environment. Um, and hopefully both these teams can figure it out. You know, but like I'm looking forward more so to seeing how this affects this Raptors team and who who takes a jump in their numbers. You know, without Pascal Siakam on the ball as much as he has been in these past couple of months. Um, more so than the Indiana Pacers, who I think are going to continue to be a good team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they'll be in the playoff picture for the entirety of the season. The question now is, do they make that jump to a contender? And personally, I don't think so yet. I don't, I don't think that they make the jump in order to be as good as the teams that are in the Eastern Conference right now. However, if they are deciding that right now is the time that they're going to buy in and they have their championship window for the next three or four seasons, I do see a plausible reality in which they find themselves in a conference finals or maybe even on the winning end of a conference final. Okay. Okay. All right, let's move into our next segment. And this is something that we bring you every week, but we haven't been able to bring you for the last couple of weeks. And that is 15 second roundup. Alex, to be honest with you, I only have two teams that I'm going to talk about today. I don't know how many you have. I don't take one. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't discuss before which teams we were taking. So, you know, hopefully we don't overlap as much, but um, yeah. Do you want to go first or you want me to, I kind of want to go. I kind of want to go first. All right. All right. I'll, I'll let you go first. All right. Hold on. Let me pull up. You gotta pull up NBA reference. <laughs> nah, give me a sec. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. I should have done this hey, before hey, the show. Hey, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready. So I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you. Let's do it. All right, let's Boom. do it. Yeah, let's do uh, it. Talk to me. You gotta give me a three, two, one. Oh yeah, you're right. Let me pull the clock up. See, God, sometimes when, when we don't, yeah, when we don't do this for a while, we we forget some of the the rules to the game here. All right, you ready? Three, yeah. two, one. The New York Knicks find themselves in seventh in the Eastern Conference, having won seven out of their last nine games. There's been heavy production from OG Ananobi and none from Precious Achua, but it seems as if this was a good move for the Knicks. 14 seconds. Pretty good. Pretty good. Look, uh, they have slipped out of, you know, the top six uh, in the Eastern Conference, which is like kind of where you want to be, I feel like you know, so that you don't have to play in the play-in tournament. But I do agree. I think that OG and Anobi has been a good addition for them thus far. Um, you know, I just I just don't see them being a team that's going to be really challenging when it comes to, you know, the fall. Like, You mean spring? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, a I number that jumps out to me is that, is that last season Jalen Brunson averaged, I mean, uh, what close to ten assists? He was up there with the lead leaguer of uh, the league yeah, leaders. He was high. He was high in, in terms of assists per sure. game. He's only averaging about six assists per game right now. And he, yes, he is scoring at a higher rate. But I think that that speaks volumes to how this team's playing right now. They're very much isolation based. They don't move the ball very well at all. No one on this team averages over seven assists. Um, and Julius Randle and Brunson are the only two people that average over three. So I look at this team, I look at it as they're very one-dimensional. The ball runs through Randall or Brunson at all times. And if you have someone who can defend those guys, and they're prone to off nights, both of them. And yeah, they're also prone to on nights, but they're very streaky as to whether or not they're going to show up that night. And I I just don't think that that's sustainable, in especially in an Eastern Conference as competitive as this one is. And as dangerous as this one is, I just don't think that this is their winning 
I don't think that this is a championship window for the Knicks, and I don't understand why they decided to go all in right now. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I don't know if they've went all in for the OG Ananobi trade. Um, I do think that moving on from RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly may have been a mistake for them, even though I do think that OG Ananobi fills some of the holes that they had previously. I think giving up IQ is big for this team. You know, you see that they have a decrease in bench depth, which is a problem um, and will be a problem going forward. Um, but that being said, I do see them being a playoff team and maybe winning a game or a round. But, like, I don't think that they're going to be contending for anything in, in the spring. Yeah, but, I mean, they have won seven out of their last nine. So they're in great form Correct. right now. So they're doing good. They're doing good. All right, that's all right all I'm going to go to my first one if, you, if, you, if you're ready. Yeah, hit me. All right. Three, give me a countdown. two, one, go. Since a hot start and really being hot around the play-in tournament, the Orlando Magic have kind of seen a slip. They've only won four out of their last ten and have really struggled as of late to get wins on the road. 12.3. We're short today. Normally short, we go man. way yeah. over. Yeah. All right. But either way, I mean, the Magic have been a very good home team thus far. They're sitting at 16 and 10 at home. Um, but they're actually not playing super well on the road. They're 9 and 13 on the road. And I think that they have had, you know, a tougher schedule to play against. And, again, Franz Wagner hasn't been playing for the past couple of weeks because of an injury. Um, but that being said, you know, I don't think there were very high expectations for this Magic team coming into the year, which is why when they were sitting so high in the Eastern Conference, you expected them to fall a little bit. Um, and I think that's start starting to happen. I still do see them as being, you know, a fringe play-in team or uh, a fringe playoff team, probably in this range of like the play-in game and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, for a team that I was kind of pulling for, it's, it's a bit disappointing to see them, you know, have this mid-season fall off a little bit. Yeah. But the song does still smack, so they have that going for them. Song does still smack. That is true. Song does still smack. Yeah, I agree with that take. Uh, the Magic have definitely seen a bit of a decline in their production lately, and I think that it's te- that teams are starting to keen on in on the fact that their offense runs through Bancaro and Wagner almost exclusively. Right, and, and Wagner not having played um, has definitely hindered them. You know. Yes, for sure. So that I think that's where it comes from mostly. All right. I'm ready when you are for your I'm next ready. one. All right. Three, two, one, go. The Los Angeles Clippers are in fourth place in the Western Conference, having won nine of their last 11 and boast an impressive 17-4 and record at home and are currently ESPN's favorites to win the Western Conference. Were we too quick to shit on the James Harden trade? 16.6. We're back to a little bit over. So, so um, basically what I'm getting at here is... Yeah, yeah, go. When the James Harden trade happened, we were very quick to just... And I say we because we said this on this podcast. We did say it, yep. We were very quick to jump to the, this team is just four veterans. They don't have what it takes to get it done. This offense probably won't even work together because you can have one ball on the court at a time. And when you have four veterans who need the ball in their hands at all times, it just won't work. Mm-hmm. But it seems like we were wrong about that. It the, does feel like that. The Clippers it? have won nine out of their last 11 games. And in that span, I've been very impressed by the way that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have played. And it seems as if James Harden is maybe happy there because he doesn't seem to be trying to get a lot done himself yep. in the 40 minutes that he's playing scoring-wise. But mm-hmm. in terms of the way that he's passing the ball, I mean, let me just read you the stats from his last I mean, so many games. I'm back yeah, to December 29th versus Memphis. That's actually exactly where I ended last time. 
Okay. In, in this span where they've gone 9 and 11, he's had 8, 13, 10, 11, 13, 9, 10, 11, 9, 8, 8 assists per game. So wow. he's averaging around 10 and a half assists a game in that time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the key to all of this. So maybe what the Clippers have been missing that whole time is just a game manager, someone who can have the rock in his hand and facilitate the game and spread the ball to those guys that they have that are lethal shooters. Also, shout-out PG. He's shooting lights out. Shout-out PG. PG and Kawhi have also both played very well this far. Um, I also think that this is symptoms of the fact that Tyron Lue knows how to coach big personalities and big egos. You know, you saw him do it in Cleveland really well for those years where LeBron was there. Um, and he can manage a team like this, I feel like, better than most coaches could. Which, so you like, all credit to him. You know, there were early, there were early symptoms of the fact that, you know, they weren't clicking. But, like, now it looks like they've kind of figured it out. I also think Russell Westbrook has taken more of a backseat role than he has in years previous um, to where, like, you know, when he was in L.A. with the with the Lakers, uh, you saw him being more so like, you know, I want the ball. You know, I, I, I'm still a star. I'm still a player. I'm still somebody who can be productive. And I don't think that was necessarily true at that time. Um, but now I think that he's accepted his role a lot more. And I think that's also a symptom of the fact that, you know, you got guys who have been together since Oklahoma City days, right? Like James Harden, Russell Westbrook, like those those are old-fashioned teammates. Those are guys who really like each other. And then, of course, you know, Paul, Paul George, George as well. Right. So I think the chemistry aspect is big for them, and I also think that they've just, you know, performed up to expectations thus far. Now, that being said, the Clippers is a cursed franchise, and I don't see them being in the NBA Finals this year, um, but they have performed super well, so. Good yeah, I, I think that the Clippers have emerged as my favorite team in the West so far. Not like and and of course the Thunder are up there competing with them, as are the Kings always, but I don't oh, mean yeah. like Love my favorite to win, but I've had a lot of fun watching them. And I think that part of what bring these brings these guys together is Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George are all staples of the twenty tens basketball picture. And to me, yep. the only person who's still in the league still performing at a high click like the four of those guys are from that time period is LeBron James right and so I think that there's something to that where they you know they're like we ran this league for 10 years let's all get together and play a 2010 style of basketball which they are doing they're playing the way that they did on their you know respective teams during that period Mm -hmm. and I think that there's something to be said where if this was 10 years ago in 2013 and all four of these guys got together, we would be like, wow, there's no way that they don't win four championships in the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Which is, I think, why it's so fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I agree with you 100%. It's it's a basketball fan's dream to, like, you know, see this type of team work together. Because, you know, I mean, I think for most guys who grew up in the era that we did, like, the only thing that, would be better than seeing these players together is like having an Oklahoma City Thunder reunion where yeah. like Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden all go back to OKC and win a ring there. You know, I think that'd be super cool. And, um, you know, I wish that would happen, but it probably never will. Um, but that being said, I have my next 15 second roundup whenever you're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. In three, two, one, go. 
The Cleveland Cavaliers are on a five-game win streak. After starting the season, you know, a bit average, a bit more average than we were expecting, Donovan Mitchell has really been setting the world on fire these past couple of weeks, and him and Jarrett Allen look like solid considerations for the All-Star game. Alex, we may have a new corner office record, pal. What was that? 14.91. Ooh! Damn. That was, that was hot, man. Damn! That was hot. We were right there. Right there. Yeah, but look, I've been really impressed with the Cavs in these past couple of games. I mean, they've won seven out of their last ten. Again, they're on a five-game win streak, and I think Donovan Mitchell must have heard me when I was talking to a couple of my friends saying that he probably wasn't, you know, an all-star this year, and he went out and had like 45 against, I think, the Nets the other night. In Paris. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he's been, he's been lighting it up, and um, look, I mean – this isn't a team that I'm really concerned about when it comes to are they going to beat the Celtics in, in the playoffs. Um, but, like, they're looking more like the team that we expected them to be, you know, with the guys that they have on the roster. Like, Jared Allen's actually a really solid starting center, and I've said that for a while. Um, and they're doing all of this without Darius Garland right now, so I think that, you know, the return of him, too, is going to really shake things up and, uh, you know, make this team even better than they already have been this year. Yeah, I think for me, it seems clear that Donovan Mitchell is just a big game player. He yes, lives for the big game. And I agree. I agree with your take about Jared Allen. I think that they have an opportunity to do what the Minnesota Timberwolves are doing right now with the combination of him and Evan Mobley, bringing you know two pretty contrasting play styles, but also being two big twin towers, uh, as well as Darius Garland and um, Donovan Mitchell. I think that who's the fifth starter? Karius Levert rounds out. A pretty good starting five and then having yep. bench depth like um evan mobley evan mobley yeah so isaac okoro yeah i mean max Struess. like yeah they have some solid role players on that team you know um who can perform up to you know up to fourth seed caliber right if they had that star power i i don't think donovan mitchell is good enough to be the best player on a winning team you know like, or on a championship team. I mean, obviously, he's on a winning team. Um, but, like, that being said, like, they have veteran leadership and guys like Tristan Ch- Tr- wow, Tristan Thompson. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like, if this team is fully healthy, which, I mean, they haven't been. You know, Mobley's missed a lot of time. Darius Garland's missed a lot of time. But, like, this team fully healthy is a pretty scary team just because they're built really well from top to bottom, in my opinion. Agreed. So that rounds up my 15 set. Do you have any more of the teams you want to do? No, I, I think I think that's good, man. Yeah, so you don't have any more teams? No, I'm good. Had enough? Had enough? Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm watching Sports Center right now. I think that we oh, make okay. a little a shift to the NFL. You you want to? Yeah, I do because I want to di- dissect the Gerard Mayo hiring, but before I get there, I'm watching Sports yeah. Center right now and a report just came out that Jim Ursay uh was found unresponsive due to an overdose in early December. And wow. the and Jim Irsay, by the way, is the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, for those of you who don't know, and was very outspoken uh, in a lot of player rights um, conversations. So this is surprising to me. I haven't seen anything about it. Uh, it makes his call to spend like $10 million moving a dead whale across the country a little bit more understanding as to why he did that. But obviously this isn't good and we wish him the best of health. So, Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. that's just a random story that I'm 
watching on TV that, right that now. That just popped up. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but no, yeah, let's talk, so let's talk about the new Gerard Mayo hiring. And this obviously happened hours after our last episode, so we didn't get to talk about it. But to me, there was a lot of hate when it first happened, mainly because a lot of people don't trust the fact that he hasn't been in any sort of significant defensive coordinator role. But I'm actually a huge fan of the signing. And I think that, A, it has something to do with the players respecting someone who has played in the modern era and played under the regime of the best team of all time. And so being a person who was our defensive captain, led our team in tackles for as many seasons as he did, and has now basically been running the show defensively. Like, I'm sorry, Steve Belichick, but I don't think that Steve was really the guy pulling the strings defensively for the New England Patriots. I really think that it's Ben Mayo for the last couple is of seasons. He, is, is Steve Belichick still a member of the, of the Patriots I'm not sure. organization? I don't know. I think he I is. I don't think so. You don't think so? No, because Gerard Mayo has been um, uh, looking to hire the Panthers outside linebackers coach as the new defensive okay. coordinator. But okay. So I think Gerard Mayo has been the guy pulling the strings. And yes, as bad as the Patriots have been for the last two seasons, we have had one of the best defenses in the entire league during Correct. that period. And when had healthy. we not had such a, even when unhealthy for the last couple of weeks, with a yeah. fully healthy defense, the Patriots have a top five defensive roster in the NFL. And that's probably a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people listening. I'm sorry, it's just true. If you look at the defensive rating, if you look at the turnover ratio, over the last few seasons, the Patriots have had one of the best defensive cores. Now you bring the success for someone who is just ready to completely revamp the offense. And don't get me wrong, all defensive coaches know offense very well. You cannot be a good defensive coach if you do not know how offensive systems work. And so right. I think that Gerard Mayo is the right guy to bring in. I think that he's a new, young face that players can relate to. And I think that he's more of a player's coach. I think that he's going to be a nice, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a change. A nice change like in refreshing. the locker room. Yeah, a refreshing change. Because okay. none of these Patriot guys were on those teams, with the exception of, you know, David Andrews, maybe some defensive linemen. None of the guys were on those Patriots teams that won championships. It's entirely new. So maybe bringing in a new guy with a new voice who's more of a modernized coach who also has the same defensive mindset and who knows, maybe offensive mindset. I don't think that we should be too quick to critique him as our past teams have had. Yeah, Obviously a better offensive mindset, but you know what I mean. I think that this could you, be good for the Patriots organization. I definitely agree with a lot of what you just said. I'm going to ask you this, though. Have they signed a new G uh, general manager yet? I don't believe that they've signed a new general okay. manager yet. So do you have any takes as to, you know, who Gerard Mayo will want to take in the draft coming, you know, very soon? I don't know who he wants to take because obviously only he knows who he wants. I would say yeah. that in my opinion, I do not hate the idea and I'm actually in favor of it to try and take Marvin Harrison if he's available at the third pick. And okay. seeing that the Bears have the first and the form that Justin Fields was in in the last few weeks of the season, I think that there's a reality where the Bears decide to stay with Fields as their quarterback and take Marvin Harrison trade, with the first. Or trade back. Or trade back. Or trade back. And I think that there's – I but I do think that there's a reality where Marvin Harrison Jr. is the first overall pick. 
and gets taken off the board early, in which case we would have no option but to take a quarterback. But Mm -hmm. I do think that if Marvin Harrison's available at three, that we make the move to get him. And I also think that people are going to be quick to hate the decision to draft a quarterback in the second round. I don't hate it at all. And I actually don't even hate the idea of just being horrible again for one season and then getting back to the top of the NFL draft and taking a quarterback in next year's draft or doing vice versa, taking a quarterback in this year's draft because it's a great year for quarterbacks and maybe taking a wide receiver or a skill position player next year. I also know that Gerard Mayo has 70 million in cap space Mm -hmm. to work with this year and that and with that, he should get either Marquise Brown or T. Higgins, two of the biggest wide receivers on the market this season. Okay. Okay. Good takes all around there from you. I mean, look, we're going to talk a lot more about football on tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to talk a lot more about football, and that'll yeah, be its own are. separate episode. Um, but I agree with a lot of the takes that you just had, um, and I'm interested to see uh, like you know, how this Patriots team looks moving forward, who they decide to sign, and – if we can change the culture of being a team that, you know, free agents seem to struggle at, aside from, you know, like the Randy Moss days, um, and, you know, a team that's like very built within the house of the New England Patriots organization, uh, to one that, you know, is going to be successful on the offensive and the defensive side of the ball, and, you know, that we can spend some money on some, some weapons instead of just drafting fifth-round wide receivers. Yeah, and I think that it's clear that our wide receiver core is not going to get it done. I think that you look at Ezekiel Elliott and maybe decide to bring him back under another veteran deal. I actually don't hate that idea. I think that you also look at keeping one of the two tight ends. I know that Gusecki is a free agent this year, so he can maybe walk. I think that you bring back one of the two tight ends, and I think that you look to just bolstering the wide receiver core and not making another move like picking up Juju. Like, Don't make that mistake again. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, so that's all I have on that. Okay. Okay. I think that'll do it then. I mean, look, we have another episode coming up for you guys tomorrow night. Um, So look forward to that. We're going to do our NFL recap, and we're going to talk about, you know, our games for the upcoming week because, you know, there's more NFL football to be played. And I think Jack and I are very excited to – to watch some more of that because i mean the games this weekend were pretty awesome um so until then you know stay tuned and um yeah i'm not i'm not usually the guy who does the outro so you can take over right now if you'd like to yeah you know keep an eye out for the next episode obviously keep supporting uh, i wrote a new blog today on the celtics so go check that out on our website we corneroffispod.com mm-hmm. and as always this has been the corner office and i'm jack burn and i'm alex Benders. One, two, three.